engineering managers start out as engineers. Eventually, there is a fork in the career road of an engineer, where that engineer can choose to move up into management or continue on as an engineer in a more senior engineering role. Changing to management involves an increase in responsibilities and a different set of goals to focus on. John Emerson was working at Google as an engineer when a project that he was working on started to get more attention. He moved into management and spent several years at Google as a manager. Today, he works at Hired as a director of engineering, leading four different teams. Full disclosure, Hired is a sponsor of Software Engineering Daily, but this episode is not about Hired itself. We do start out with a discussion of the hiring process because of John's domain expertise around hiring, but most of our conversation focuses on the role of a manager and the role of a director of software engineering, which is not a topic that we've explored on Software Engineering Daily. Most of the episodes of Software Engineering Daily have focused on the day-to-day life of an engineer, so it's interesting to get a perspective from someone higher up on the management chain who has more visibility over entire software projects. You might be interested in the show if you are a manager or a director of software engineering, or if you are looking to eventually move your way up into a management role. John Emerson is an engineering director at Hired. John, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Thanks for having me, Jeff. So we've done a few shows about hiring, and the current standard practice for most interview processes, most hiring processes, at least at the bigger companies, is somewhat standardized as the format of you do a phone screen, and then you come in for the on-site interview, and you have this whiteboarding process of knowing what algorithms to write in a given situation. Maybe you reverse a string, maybe you have to write Dijkstra's algorithm. And so this is how we have done hiring for a long time. So I guess how I'd like to start is just the question of, you know, since you've been in the industry for like 15 years, what are the ways in which this process does not work? Well, so I think larger companies, as they get to a certain size, they have to find candidates who have the ability to grow into the roles that they'll ultimately be used in. So, for example, Google and Facebook are notorious for hiring people out of college. So if you're going to assess someone's abilities based on what they've done historically, it probably makes sense to focus on what they've been up to, which is learning algorithms and learning data structures and seeing how deep they actually got in their academic work. But if you are a startup like Hired is, that's not exactly what you want to be assessing. You actually want to be assessing a lot more about how someone will do on the job, considering what they have been doing typically has been working in the industry for five, maybe 10 years. So that's where I think we see algorithms questions like they do have a place, but I think if for hiring experienced people, they have less of a place. So Mm -hmm. What we do at Hired is we actually, we don't do algorithms questions. We focus on four different areas that are actually really aligned with what people will be doing on the job. So one of our questions is fixing a bunch of bugs. So we've come up with this canned 100, 200 line set of code, which does something, but it could be a lot better. And there are certainly bugs if you start looking at it. And what we do in the exercises, we actually like 
go and we try to figure out what the bugs are and figure out the best ways to fix them. And sometimes there's an obvious way to fix it, but you could step back and look at the bigger picture and be like, well, this actually is a bug because we set up the pattern wrong. If we had just written it using it like a standard pattern, this never would have existed and no one would have ever thought of introducing this bug. So can you, can you see a bug and realize that the bigger picture has the problem and the bug is just a symptom of the bigger picture? That is a great signal for us. Another thing we do is like design a system. So we'll come up with a system that you might have used in the past and think about like how you would actually build that. And so do you have that high level ability to think like, oh, I'm going to deploy that on Heroku because it gives me this and that. I'm going to use these technologies because that's what the team is familiar with and will have the highest velocity. And so have you thought about all these different things before in life? So that's kind of a little picture of what we do at Hired. I think that's a good way to think about interviewing people. And you know with a lot more confidence when they start the job that, they're excited about the things that you interviewed them for, which is the job that they'll be doing. Mm. So there's this longstanding idea that it's better to have false negatives rather than false positives during the hiring process. So in other words, if you're unsure about a candidate, you should say no rather than yes, because hiring somebody that is not a good fit at a company does more damage than not hiring someone that's good. Do you agree with that premise? Yes, I do. Interesting. Okay. Do you think, is there ever a scenario where a company should take a risk on a person where it's like, uh, maybe this person is not a great fit, but if they are a good fit, then they're going to knock it out of the park so much that it's absolutely worth it. So there's ways you can do that that are a lot safer. So for example, you can hire someone as a contractor and they can have a very defined project to work on and you can see how they do it the quality that they do it their relationships with people and whether you'd want them to continue working on projects of that kind or maybe they've just shown so much tremendous ability that you want to actually hire them long term for a larger role Mm. okay yeah i guess that that does make sense so you are an engineering director, and I want to talk some about that role and the role of management. So could you first explain what the role of an engineering director is? So an engineering director is someone who looks after multiple engineering teams. And so the role is really, you wear a lot of hats. I think first and foremost, you're looking after the composition of the team and the happiness of the team. So this means making sure that everyone is excited and motivated by the company's objectives, that we have enough people to get everything we need to do done, and that if there are problems, that they're resolved quickly and transparently so that everyone feels that we're treating people fairly. So how does that role of director differ from that of manager? So it's really how many teams are you looking after? So in my case, I'm looking after four teams right now. Traditionally, an engineering director would have managers reporting into them. Hired is a little bit different in that we have extremely technical product managers who actually play the role of engineering manager to some degree. So because of that, we have a little bit of a non-standard engineering slash product composition. But it works for us. 
Interesting. So do you end up writing much software in your actual work or is it more just the process of managing teams and aligning different projects? Well, that's a good point. I think engineering managers typically contribute some code, whereas engineering directors are really, they should stay away from code because it'll be a distraction from looking after the big picture. In addition, like engineering directors, because they're looking after such a large scope of things, they tend to get distracted by a fire because fires can happen from way more spots. And so mm-hmm. if you were to take on any engineering responsibilities, you will likely be distracted. You will not be able to get back to them for several days. And you leave anyone who is counting on you to deliver those things thinking that they shouldn't have counted on you to do those things. Right. So many of the shows that we have done are about the process of engineering and typically like going into the weeds on some JavaScript framework or big data technology or something. We haven't done much information about management. And so I'd really like to dive into this topic because I think engineering management is fascinating. And when did you decide to move into management and why did you move away from the practice of, you know, writing code day to day as an engineer? So... I was the creator of the Google Picker. And what the Google Picker is, is it's a dialogue that pops up when you're in Gmail, when you're in Google Photos, certainly Google Docs, basically any app when you want to pick a a photo or a video or a, a doc or a font to continue your workflow. So example, inserting a photo or an image into a spreadsheet that uses the Google Picker. I started this project, it was just me, we got another guy, we're cranking along, and it turns out, so we integrated with Google Sites first, because unproven technology, like, let's take some baby steps. But suddenly people realized that, oh my god, this solves so many problems, which is why you now see it in every single Google app. And so my team started getting bigger and bigger. We got up to four people, and my manager, and the manager for everyone on this team, was also looking after other projects, specifically contacts management, all the backend systems for who knows who at Google, which is like where your address book is stored. And he came to me and he's like, I'm super excited about what you guys are working on. However, I don't have enough time to look after both you and contacts. So I'll give you two options. You can continue being the technical leader for the Google Picker, or you can be a manager for it. And this doesn't mean that you can't continue to contribute on the technical side, but you will also have people management responsibilities. And I thought about it and I realized that when you have a manager or anyone in a leadership position, they tend to introduce their own perspectives and their own priorities onto the project. And I actually really liked the direction Google Picker was going. And I worried a little bit about the possibility of having a bad fit in the role my manager was proposing. And so considering it was my baby, I started it. It was going great. I'm like, I will take management responsibilities. And actually, like, I had always thought my path in life would involve going into management at some point. So it was actually kind of a non-question for me. It was like, of course, I'll do this. But it actually made sense also from a strategic perspective. So from there... I grew the team up to six people, and then I made some good connections with people on the Google Plus team, because um, a lot of times when you're trying to share something, you need to pick what you want to share. So that kind of opened some doors for me in leadership on the core Google Plus team. 
And so that's kind of how I've headed in that direction. So what were the things that maybe you didn't see coming that were difficult to, like there were skills that you had to pick up as a manager that you didn't necessarily have to build while you were an engineer? I think for me, the hardest part was realizing that I shouldn't be the most important person on the technical aspect of a project. That by doing that, which is leading the architecture, leading the day-to-day, not only was I slowing down the team because I couldn't put 100% of my time into that because I also have people management responsibilities, but I'm actually taking away opportunities for people on my team who should be given that opportunity and that opportunity to sometimes fail and learn from mistakes. And the way I got where I am is by having those opportunities. It's, it's only fair and it's actually the most effective way to give individual contributors the most important technical aspects of projects. Were there challenges in learning the empathy components and like the people management components? Because I always find the people management aspects to be so complex, like even, even, even just working as an engineer or even as a podcast host, like the people management aspects are always so much less straightforward than the technical aspects. Well, I think that's one of the things that makes management so interesting to me is that it's no longer there is a proper way to build something, but now you have all sorts of variables in terms of who likes working with who, who wants to grow in what direction, what are people actually good at, who can you trust to get something done versus like who would you like to grow into being able to get something done, but they're not there yet. And how do you make that happen for them in a way that deadlines are still hit? So piecing together a group of people to deliver a high quality product, hitting the deadlines that are important has always been the most interesting thing. Mm. So your question was, how does empathy fit into that? Well, you you have to have one-on-ones. You have to learn what is important to people. And then you use all that learning to then deliver product. And when you're talking to higher-ups, like as a manager talking to a director, or now you as a director talking to C-suite people or VPs, this seems like a different type of relationship than the typical engineer talking to an engineering manager. I think most of the people listening to this this show are software engineers, and the higher-up that they spend most of their time talking to is their manager. How does the dynamic change when you move kind of up the ladder and you're having these different kinds of managerial relationships? Well, it's interesting. So as you move higher up the ladder, you actually have less control over what you're actually doing. And so a lot of times, like the corporate initiative will come down from the CEO that we need to get these these things done. And your job is no longer to question why are we doing those things? Well, it is to some degree, but like when I'm in a, a meeting and talking to a group of people, it is to make sure everyone is aligned with the corporate mission and to figure out how to get the things done that need to get done. And I don't know, does this answer your question? Yeah, no, I think it does. It's interesting. So what about, are the deliverables more abstract? Like, do you ever like get a deliverable from, you know, higher up where it's like very abstract and you have more room to implement it, more variability that you could inject into it? Or 
does it really tend to be more of an implementation process? Well, so the way Hired works, and to some degree Google worked this way as well, is that the larger an initiative gets, the more discovery that's necessary. And then you need a spec and you need to make sure that everyone who's involved with this project is aware of their role in that project and what is expected of them at what dates. And you kind of step away from this being an engineering project is now an initiative. And the way this works at Hired and also at Google is that product management then takes on that aspect of the project. Whereas as you go up the engineering side leadership, you're making sure that engineers are properly allocated to these projects. They know what their goals are. They know how they'll be assessed on those goals. And you look to make sure that everyone's following the right processes in terms of coding in the way that we all agreed on as a team, make sure that we do code review processes, making sure that if a bug goes out that we follow an agreed on process for fixing that bug, which preferably is rolling back that change and then pushing it back out again once it appears fixed. And so you're kind of making sure that all these meta processes that engineers think about, there is a structure in place for them to be done. Right. Now I understand. So what about KPIs? Like when I read books about how Google does management, they always talk about the key performance indicators and how every level of management, you know, different people have different KPIs, but it adds a degree of measurability to a certain decision. So do you have KPIs when you're working at Hired or how do KPIs fit into how you think about management? Well, I think KPIs are critical for engineers to know what's expected of them on a quarterly basis. If we don't write that stuff down and we don't think about it, then the quarter comes to an end. And what do you actually look at to determine whether that quarter was a success or not? And if someone in your mind didn't meet their goals, what do you have to point to to say, we agreed on this and this and it wasn't delivered? If you don't have KPIs, you can't have that conversation in a way that's not a he said, she said. So that's why... like. We always do KPIs. It's important to kind of set expectations on a regular basis. And yeah, so we do KPIs here. One thing we did at Google instead, though, was OKRs, which stands for Objective Key Results. Oh, yeah. And I, should, I guess I should say Key Performance Indicators, what KPI stands for, if listeners don't know. Yep. So Objective Key Results are a little different in that you're not expecting people to hit them you're actually expecting people to get 70% of the way there. And if people do 100% on an OKR, that is incredible, and they should be strongly rewarded for that. And so what KPI, or what OKRs do is they kind of separate what the objectives are from the key results. So you can have a set of projects that you hope to have key results, but you kind of think about it as two different things. With KPIs, it's, it's more of just a metric, like we're trying to increase the number of interview requests we sent, and it's less clear how you're going to go about doing that. That's actually usually up to you about exactly what mini projects you'll do along the way. So it's, it's a little bit difficult, or not difficult, but different in how you assess whether someone hit that goal or not. Okay, I understand. 
So you're directing the mobile team at Hired. Tell me about your responsibilities within that job. So it's weird. So like mobile is one of my four teams. I also lead the expansion team. We recently launched in France. I lead the growth teams, which is all of our landing pages and sign-up flows, and also our marketing systems team, which is how we keep track of which ads are being clicked on. Oh, I totally undersold you. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so I'm kind of giving this context of I don't actually put 100% of my time into mobile, but I do put a lot of time into mobile. But considering it's like 20% of what I've been thinking about, I try to add value where I can and then step away where I can't add value. So on mobile specifically, we hired a new mobile developer at the beginning of Q2 in April, which was a big win. The team was previously composed of an amazing software engineer for Facebook and an amazing software consultant who'd worked at a number of places, including Asana. But he wanted to be a consultant so that he could have freedom in life and go off and do things whenever he decided to do something new. And he had been here for the initial launch of the Hired app and through three releases since then. And he felt like he had given us what we wanted, which was absolutely true. And so now it's time for his next adventure. So I spent a lot of time trying to find a someone to replace him, sent a lot of interview requests, talked on the phone with tons of candidates, and ultimately found an amazing guy who had worked in the gaming industry and wanted to move from Denver to San Francisco, made sure that he had an amazing time during his interviewing process, took him out to a great dinner to get him to accept. So I ran that whole process. In addition, like the, the engineering team has uh, questions about what are we going to do about testing the code? And the various people on the team, now that we have the new guy, like have different perspectives on that. And so it's my job as the engineering leader to mediate that and make sure that the team comes to an understanding of what kind of test coverage are we going to have? Are we going to write 100% coverage for for the UI layer, or are we going to focus on the data model? It's not my decision to say we're going to do this and that, but actually it's my responsibility to the team to make sure that both of them feel heard and both of them reach a decision that they're both happy with and they could stick to that decision. Other things on the mobile team. So the other thing I'm doing for the mobile team, because I'm looking after multiple teams, is what would be great is when we send an email, if someone were to click on a link in that email, it actually opens in the mobile app. And because of the marketing systems we use to send emails, we can't do that today. So it's my responsibility as engineering director to work across teams to figure out how we solve that. And so that involves bringing in our engineer who is responsible for email and figuring out why we can't do what we want to do and trying to come up with a plan to ultimately fix that. Interesting. So that deep linking problem, so that's pretty kind of random example, but I'd love to know about why you can't deep link within those emails. Yeah, so the problem is... So we ran into this problem with two email service providers, both Customer.io and Mailgun. What they want to do is they want to track when people click emails. That's their value add as an email service provider. And in order to do click tracking, they rewrite all the links in the email. So instead of it being hired.com <laughs> slash list, it's hired.email.com, for example, slash list. Or actually not slash list, but slash some random code. And that is C named over to their servers. 
they look up in their database, oh, that random code, that means this path. Let's record it as a click, and now let's send them, redirect the request over to what page they were supposed to look at. And because it's on a different domain, that causes us two different issues. One is we can't put up the manifest files for Android and iOS to say that links to this domain should open up in this app. Additionally, iOS has an HTTPS requirement that they don't allow the manifest files to mean anything unless they're hosted on a, a proper SSL certificate. And because we don't control those domain names, we actually can't put that SSL cert up. Fascinating. So, uh, you know, you mentioned that mobile is just one of four teams that are, you know, under your directorship. So was there a reason why those four teams, you know, wound up underneath you? I think it was the mobile team, the marketing systems team, the what is it, the growth team or the internationalization team? Yeah, basically that we call the international team the expansion team because they're responsible not only for international expansion, but also role expansion. So we added marketing as a role to the product for New Yorkers this week. So that's kind of the expansion team's job to make sure that that stuff looked after. So why did right. I get so these four teams? Yeah, is there significant overlap between them or is it more just because Hired is still is still growing and just kind of looking for a director to put these different teams under? So I think there is a really good reason why we did it this way. And it, I agree that from an outsider's perspective, it looks a little bit funny. So I did a lot of product at Google. And coming into Hired, and then after Google, I didn't say this, but I did my own startup for a year. And my startup was in the news space. We called the internet looking for news, and we tried to recommend news articles to people based on their career interests. It was a tremendous iOS app. We got a lot of press when we launched, but ultimately people aren't looking for more news apps to install on their phone. (laughs) (laughs) So it didn't actually make sense to continue working on it. But I came away from that experience and realized, you know, I'm good at product, but I actually wasn't good at the marketing aspect. I didn't actually know how to promote this app so that I could get lots of downloads and hopefully Mm. enough downloads so that it was worth paying a little bit for each download. So coming to Hired, my options were wide open of what team did I want to work on. And one of the options was the marketing systems and the growth teams. And I'm like, that is what I want to learn. That's what I want to work on. I really, really, really want to do that. And so they're like, great. Now, the other two teams, expansion, I, for whatever reason, I I, I truly respect the product manager for expansion. I like working with him. And so when it was offered to me as a new team to staff up, I said, absolutely, I want to do that. And for the mobile team, coming away from my startup's experience of building an iOS app from scratch, I was the logical choice to lead that effort because I had just done it. And so... That's how I got these four teams. It also makes sense that the core experience, the core product is all managed by one engineering manager. And then we have two other engineering managers who look after the back ends. So I kind of like have, in some ways, the more ambiguous teams Mm. that, that are less, it's a little bit harder to put your name on. Oh, these people are doing this specific system. So when you talk about the marketing aspects of it, the marketing systems, team that's that's another team that fascinates me you know hired has a lot of advertising all across the web or maybe i just see a disproportionate amount of it because i'm kind of in the target audience but how does that directorship process work for you from the point of view of that team because you know i see it as as 
quite a challenge to like figure out what are the advertising channels that are actually working and what are the backend systems that you need to build to properly support this. So maybe you could tell tell me a little bit more about managing that role. Well, so we have a, a tremendous marketing team here at Hired, and they drive almost everything that you see in terms of an advertising perspective. They are amazingly technically capable on their own. Uh, they almost don't need an engineering team. But what we do is we actually support them in making sure that they can look after the effectiveness of their campaigns on a historical basis. So we keep track of every single ad that's clicked. We attribute it to a specific campaign. We store that in database systems such that our finance team can actually see how investments on the client side or the candidate side on LinkedIn versus Google are doing so that everyone's more informed about what investments we should be making. So is that is that as trackable as you would like it to be? or Because I've worked in some online advertising stuff briefly, and my sense was that like there is a lot of smoke and mirrors, and it, sometimes you can't actually... I mean, you want to believe that the data that you're gathering is correct, but there can be so much noise and potential fraud, potential bots. You know, you find yourself asking, like, are these measurable things that I'm gathering, are they actually telling me the truth? Does that ever happen? Or do you feel like the data that you're gathering is clean enough to be actionable? Oh, it's absolutely clean enough to be actionable. So as people click through on ad campaigns, we assign them an identifier. And then that identifier is sent on every request after that. So I think a good question is, do we care about the denominator? We don't care so much about the denominator. Well, the denominator to us is the money we spend on advertising, not the total number of clicks we get. And then the numerator to us is how many signups did we get? And so we can absolutely track both how much we're spending and how many signups we got. And we can actually see on a per campaign basis, how effective were those signups? Did those people actually fill out their profiles? Did when they were offered interview requests, did they accept them? We can see all of that through the entire flow. Interesting. Okay. So how does the organizational scaling that you are seeing at Hired since you've joined, how does that differ from the organizational scaling that you saw since, I think it was, you spent like, was it 2005 to, or sorry, 2006 to 2014 was when you were at Google. So how does that scaling, how has that differed so far from your point of view? So I think Google definitely invested in engineers first and then figured out how the company needed to scale around all the opportunities those engineers created as far as products. And what Hired is doing instead is hiring tremendously talented business people and then seeing what engineering needs they have and then staffing for that need. So it's kind of whether you're business-driven, which we are kind of as a, um, a SaaS business, or whether you're engineering-driven, which is kind of unique to Google and perhaps Facebook. So how we're scaling, like as this mountain of work that the engineering team has to accomplish grows and grows and grows. We look and we think, oh my God, that's a lot of work, but that's okay. We can prioritize it. And once it gets really painful to prioritize and cut things down, then we decide, oh, we need to hire more people. So based on that, we're increasing our engineering team by 50% this year. We're interviewing like crazy. So that's actually fairly similar to Google. But I think the ratio that we're seeing of the engineering team here to the rest of the company is just going to stay at a smaller ratio than you'd see at a more engineering-driven company. 
interesting. Can you tell me more about the focus of the, like why you would scale and in terms of hiring more business people rather than focusing more on scaling the engineering organization? I mean, one one way I can think about it is like when somebody is using Hired, they you get paired with a talent advocate and you have, so you have a person working with you and you do have this very human experience when you're engaging with the platform. But yeah, I'd love to hear more about the process of scaling the people rather than scaling the engineering workforce. You hit the nail on the head. Your talent advocate is your advocate as a candidate on Hired and it is part of our brand, part of the reason why people love Hired. And so as our company continues to explode. I mean, we're two times bigger this year than we were last year. We would like to continue to have a very high-end brand and to continue to have very top-notch talent advocates for every single candidate on hire. Hmm. So it just goes without saying that we need to staff up that team. There are things we could... Now, that said, like there's things that talent advocates do every single day that could be automated. And we are doing those things, but it kind of takes us to get to a certain size of talent advocates where it actually makes sense that that investment should be made and that will actually make the company more effective. So we're kind of, we're getting to the point where those investments absolutely pay off immediately before we make that choice from a product perspective to invest in that. Whereas I think other companies would realize that this is coming sooner and perhaps invest early in that. And I, I think you could go either way. Uh, investing early, that could be a wasted effort. We are definitely not doing any wasted efforts, but perhaps we would be more effective if we were put a little bit more foresight into what we're doing. You have talked about how you manage the international expansion team. What are some of the ways in which hiring is different in places that are not the United States? So I went to Paris for our launch in France three weeks ago. And one thing I learned is that for a lot of people, a lot of companies, they like to hire interns for a role first before converting them to a proper full-time role. And I heard intern and I thought, oh, I like college intern, who would do that? But it's actually, I, maybe it's like something that's just, it's translated differently in French, but it's something that people do throughout their careers. It's kind of like what I was saying with contracting, like you kind of demo the role on both sides and see if it's a good fit before jumping into it. And so as hired the platform, we are very focused on full-time roles. So contracting is now a significant portion of our business. And so launching in France, it actually makes you wonder, like, should we have intern roles open on our platform should we put special support in for those roles so that people can search for them? And maybe the compensation for the internship portion is different than the full-time and we should, as hired as a tremendously transparent platform for finding jobs, should we add that transparency for French roles as well? That's a good question. So that's kind of the biggest thing is also like in Paris, they're not used to paying hired's rate of 15%. It's just recruiters make less money per placement in France than they do in the United States. So you kind of have to figure out what your pricing model should be there. And then also there's engineering challenges as far as like supporting holidays and supporting new languages. Does that answer your question? No, totally. Cool. So I want to talk some about infrastructure. Hired is on AWS and I've been having a lot of conversations with people about 
how the different cloud providers are evolving. Obviously, it made a lot of sense to get on AWS because I think probably two or three years ago or four years ago, whenever Hired got started, AWS was you know by far the, the you know the safest choice. But in your eyes, like how have these different cloud providers evolved? Have they caught up to each other? Has Google and Azure caught up to AWS and you know, when you're talking to people, like, what is the impression you get about these other cloud providers? Well, so first off, we use Heroku, which is on AWS, but it oh. provides a, a whole layer of services that just make our jobs way easier. So we actually didn't have a systems team here looking after our infrastructure until like six months ago. There were certainly people who put significant thought and time into our backend systems, but we didn't actually have to dedicate anyone to that for a really long time, which was tremendous. I don't get so involved in the infrastructure part of decision-making here. But one thing I do know, like when I did my startup, which was called Spotter News, I tried out Google's offering. And to me, it just felt like I either had to do a ton of work to get things to work how I wanted, or my choices were really, really limited. And so AWS and Heroku seems to hit, which I also built Spotter on Heroku, just gives you enough flexibility that you are free to do basically anything you want to do without putting a lot of hoops in your way. Now, Heroku mm. is expensive, but it's not crazy expensive. It is cheaper than an engineer to be on Heroku for us, certainly for Spotter. So that's awesome. So then the question is like, well, Azure is certainly cheaper than Heroku and Google is cheaper generally than AWS. Does it actually matter? And like for us, it doesn't matter. Like we're actually really happy with all the capabilities available on Heroku. It wouldn't actually make sense to change off of it. And I don't think we'd do anything differently today if we were to start hired from scratch. So you mentioned this startup that you worked on for a while, a couple of times, Spotter News. I'd love to get some color on your experience with that. I know we're you know we're almost up against time, but you know, I'd, I'd love to hear about how that contrasts with your experience working at Google and how it contrasts with Hired. Well, a lot of people think, oh, a startup, you have to do everything yourself. You had all these people helping you at, at Google. Now, like, if you're going to work with lawyers, you have to actually work with lawyers directly. I actually didn't find it to be all that different from Google. I did a lot of different things at Google that weren't strictly engineering. And it was nice to now have full control over everything we did. So, sorry, can you repeat the question? Well, sure. I mean, I was just curious about your experience. It sounds like there was not much of a difference in the in the amount of variability you had, but there was more control. You could turn on a dime if you wanted to. I can imagine that being one advantage of, of working for your own startup. Yeah, absolutely. Was there any other like valuable experiences that you took away from that? I mean, you mentioned that like, oh, you discovered nobody wants yet another news app. It, was that definitely a conclusion that you drew? Or do you think like maybe you could have kept iterating on it and eventually? I mean, what, what did you discover about the news space, the mobile news space that was interesting to you? I'm not sure that the biggest thing I learned was I should have identified a set of target customers first and built an app for them and had really quick iteration cycles to ultimately make them an app that they're excited about using and actually use every single day. And if that's not possible, I should go find something else to build that 
does make that possible. So probably focus way less on coding and a lot more on identifying a market and also probably more on networking with people throughout the industry to figure out like what pain points people are having that an app or a service that I could build could truly help them with. Got it. So to close off, at Hired, you see the hiring industry from many different angles and it's a really rich ecosystem. So I'm really curious, could you tell me something bizarre or unexpected that you've witnessed in the hiring industry? One thing that I've noticed is if you look at the curve of how much new grads make versus how much five-year experienced people make, I actually think that there's a lot of value in the people with five years experience. They get paid about 50% more, maybe like 30 to 50% more. But when they come to work over the first year, they tend to get at least twice as much done just on an aggregate basis. So I think that's like my biggest takeaway that, wow, having slightly experienced people, moderately experienced people on your team is probably the smartest thing you could possibly do. Hmm. Although the it's funny that there's a you know there's a two x increase in productivity, but a only a hundred and fifty percent increase in salary. Maybe that yeah, only a only a thirty to fifty percent thirty thirty to fifty percent increase in salary. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Okay, well that sounds like a great place to close off. John, thanks for coming on the show. It's been an interesting conversation about management and hiring, and thanks again. Thank you so much, Jeff. Yeah.